Let's go ahead and get started tonight if we can, please. Still not too late to come on down. We're missing some folks tonight. So come on down. I think tonight has been, it's been such a beautiful day today, hasn't it? Y'all think it's been a beautiful day? If you think it's been a beautiful day, then I want you to join in and say in the books of the Bible, everybody together. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Yeah. 
Confess again, and what are you going to say? Acts 8.37. Confess. Acts 8.37. Be baptized.
We want to welcome everyone here tonight. Looks like we've got a fairly good crowd, and uh, we want you to know if you're visiting with us that we count you as an honored guest, and uh, we hope that you'll come back and be with us anytime that you have an opportunity. We'd love to see you on Wednesday night for our Bible classes at 7 o'clock. If uh, uh, we could do anything to help you make that happen, we'd love to do so. have a few updates that I want to pass along to you uh, tonight. First of all, uh, if you would like to honor a loved one with, uh, during the holiday season with a contribution to one of our ministries, please try to get that taken care of today, if at all possible. The Ladies' Ornament Exchange is tonight over at the Elliott House. Also, tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to be serving hot chocolate and cookies uh, in the annex beginning at 5 uh, for the Christmas parade. Uh, also, everyone is invited to the Holiday Open House at the Forest House at 19 Kimberly Lane on Sunday, December the 10th, uh, which is a week from today, from 2 until 4. And keep in mind the annual Fruit Basket Day coming up on Wednesday the 20th at 1 o'clock. I do want to remind those in the Golden Circle that our uh, December lunching will be on the 12th, a week from this Tuesday in the Annex. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Will you please bow with me in prayer, then we'll have our song to go to class. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for all your many blessings and the many good things you do for us each day. Father, we're mindful that all that we have comes from you, and without you, we would be nothing. Father, there are many that we know of tonight that are sick, that are in hospitals, that are in uh, beds of recovery. We pray that you would be with each one of those, Father, and those that are tending to their needs, and we pray that you will help them as they endeavor to recover. We also, Father, pray for those who continue to grieve over the loss of loved ones. We know this time of the year uh, makes that grieving even more difficult, but please bless them with, with hope and healing, Father. We're so thankful for the church here that meets at Boonville. We're so thankful for our elders here, for the leadership they provide, for the love and care they manifest toward each one of us. And we pray that you continue to bless our elders with health and strength and the wisdom to lead us in a way that would be pleasing to you. Father, help us as we leave this place tonight, as we go to our classes, that we'll open up our hearts and minds to your word, that we'll leave here more determined to be faithful to you than we have before. Father, we're so thankful for your son who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Today I'll be singing, I'll fly away, 851. I'll fly away, 
just anticipating it, right? So some of you have kind of, I don't know, kind of been picking at me about the smile thing, but let's just keep that up, okay? And see if that just makes us happy. <laughs> and if you don't feel it, just fake it. <laughs> just smile at me anyway. Appreciate that. Okay, I have a bunch of people who are sick. I'm going to go through this list. If you have an update about some of these folks, I'd really appreciate you giving that. There have been some names on this list for a while, and I've gone through and, and taken off some folks that I think probably have progressed, but if you have somebody you want to add, we'll do that at the end. And appreciate those of you who ministered to some of these folks. Irene Baker has terminal cancer. Austin Wentz undergoing a long series of treatments for cancer. Wade Davis is still missing uh, well over a year. Saw Sue last night at the gospel meeting at Berea, and she just has a happy spirit about her. Appreciates our prayers for her and her family. Bobby Petty has cancer. Marty Woodruff has cancer, and his wife's caring for him. Eli Johnson is taking treatments for cancer. Ann Langford's finished up therapy, doing well. She'd like to still be remembered in prayer. Emma Hutton has cancer. Sharon Strickland has cancer. Grayson Miller has cancer. Linda Garrett's undergoing follow-up treatments, but, I mean, she's, she's clear of her cancer, so we just rejoice in that. Barbara Foster has breast cancer. Larry Muse has colon cancer. Lennox Kinnamer and Micah McBrayer are children who have cancer. Sybil Tolleson has Alzheimer's. That's the Ligon's neighbor. Jeremy Owens is recovering. Loxley Eaton taking treat. Who? Loxley Eaton? Thank you for the update. Okay. Okay, great. Look at there, little exclamation point. Uh, Joanne Roberts is here, but she's been experiencing severe neuropathy and glad to have them both back from being sick for a while. Jayla Ross is recovering from traumatic brain injury. Sadie Downs has stomach cancer. Susan Wood has breast cancer. Johnny Derrick has lung cancer. Monique Brown has breast cancer. Christy Nash, uh, she was, is Billy in here? Um, yes, uh, so she had kind of a follow-up exam, right? Do you know how that went or? Okay. That's this Wednesday. Joan is Norma living with you guys still? Uh, Joan cares for her sister. Uh, Joy Jamison is in recovery. Ron Lansdale has breast cancer. Uh, Dennis Brown uh, in the hospital through Christmas probably. Reba Hughes recovering. Terry Ross needs a liver transplant.
Okay. What about Sean Crum? Well, I have him down for liver and kidney. He needs a liver transplant. Okay. And Sue's here. She's not been feeling well of late. We're glad you're here, Sue. Uh, Junior Wilson has cancer. Allie Johnson is taking chemo. Jonathan Bishop has cancer. Flora Warner's doing so much better that she's partied out. Right? She went to all these parties. Now she's tired from partying. So... I came up there to Landmark today. Guess who's sitting on the porch like they own the place? That is Rick and Bonnie. Rick and Bonnie are sitting out there. His mother's nowhere to be found. They just like to hang out. But I thought that was pretty cool. Pat Hall has cancer. Jerry Ryan is Mickey Scott's friend. He, he is very sick right now. Mary King has a lot of health problems. Taking medicine for blood clots. I saw John Roten at Landmark. He's doing great, except when he, like when he stands up, he's very dizzy. So he has to st stay seated quite a lot. Uh, Brian Rowland's been having some issues with his foot, so we pray that that will resolve itself. Ricky Neves has mouth cancer. Adele's sister, Jackie Lambert, she's, at re she's in rehab at Landmark now. She's made a great recovery from what was in a very serious emergency situation. Uh, our friends, Ralph and Glenda Jennings, they have a grandson, Will, that is going to be having a kidney transplant on the 29th, and his father is going to be the donor. Jim Thomason's recovering from a heart attack. I, I think he recently had a setback, but is doing okay. Wanda Devon, who is Mickey Scott's sister, had a stroke, and the sisters are caring for her. Ray Miller had uh, disc surgery on Tuesday. Anybody have an update? Okay, good, good. Kathy Johnson is Carolyn Liggins' niece. She has breast cancer and is going to be having surgery on Thursday. Uh, Marilyn's sister Pat's not well. She broke her arm and pretty well immobile. Uh, Maydeen Crow, she's in recovery. She'll show you. Arms in a sling there, but we hope, hope you do well and recover quickly. How's Jamie? He was at Okay, see, it's catchy, isn't it? Okay, so he's not in the hospital anymore. Infection's okay? Okay. Great. Terry Yarbrough was in the ICU. How is he? Is he home? How's Chester? Okay, that's 
All good news. Um, anybody hear an update about the Dukes family? Still the same. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll want to remember them too. Is it routine? Okay, good. Okay, let's have our prayer and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you for a beautiful day. You've heard us talking about it all day. And we're so thankful. And we thank you, Lord, for this church family and for the love that is just so evident here. Thank you for every member and for every part that every member plays. We have friends and family, some members who are sick, and we're praying, Lord, for their recovery. I know there's some folks here that don't feel well. They express that to me, but they would not miss being here. So, Lord, I pray that you will bless them with recovery and just for the sake of their being here, I pray you'll relieve some of the suffering that they're enduring and the sacrifice that they've made. Bless, bless them for that. We pray for these people because they're our, I guess, our major concerns and we're praying for relief in every case if it is your will. We thank you that you have, you've extended Irene Baker's life and it has resulted in her obedience to the gospel some months ago. And we're thankful that she still is able to spend quality time with her family. We pray your blessings on her and them. Bless Austin Wentz as he undergoes a long series of treatments. Pray for the Davis family, especially for Sue, as Wade is still missing. We, we pray that they can have some degree of closure somehow. Bless Bobby Petty who has cancer, Marty Woodruff who has cancer and is not doing well. We pray for his wife as she provides care for him. Bless Eli Johnson and his treatments. Pray your blessings on Ann Langford that uh, she'll continue to do well. Bless Emma Hutton who has cancer, Sharon Strickland and Grayson Miller, all who have cancer. We continue to rejoice that Linda's doing so well. Uh, bless her as she receives the last few treatments, and we pray that all this is a thing of the past. Bless Barbara Foster in her battle with cancer. Larry Muse, who has cancer. We pray for Lennox and Micah as they both have cancer, and pray your blessings on their uh, families. We pray for Sybil Tollison and her caregivers as she goes through the throes of Alzheimer's. We pray for Jeremy Owens and his recovery. Bless Loxley Eaton. We rejoice that she is in remission. Pray your blessings on Joanne Roberts that her feeling will return. She can find some remedy for this neuropathy. And just bless her and Ben with good health. We pray for Jayla Ross, who is recovering from this traumatic brain injury. We pray that she's continuing to make 
progress. Be with Sadie Downs, who has cancer, Susan Wood, who has breast cancer, Johnny Derrick with lung cancer, Monique Brown with cancer. We pray for Christy Nash that this MRI that she has on, on Wednesday, maybe it'll reveal that the disease is not progressing as expected. I don't know, Lord, but we do pray your blessing on her and her family. Pray for Norma Hemwell that she would have good days and bless Joan as she cares for her and give Joan just a great measure of patience and understanding. Pray for Joy Jamison, his long recovery, for Rhonda Lansdale, who has cancer, for Dennis Brown, who's having a long stay at the hospital, bless Reba Hughes, Terry Ross, who needs a liver transplant, and Sean Crum, who needs a liver transplant. We're thankful Sue's better and with us. Be with Junior Wilson, who has cancer, Allie Johnson, who's taking chemo. We pray your blessings on Jonathan Bishop, who has extensive cancer. We're thankful that Sister Warner feels well enough to socialize like she's been able to do and the joy that her friends have brought her. And we just pray that she will have really good quality days with her family. Bless Pat Hall, who has cancer. For Jerry Ryan, who is very ill right now. Bless Mary King, that she can be free from these clots. Bless John Roten, that his condition will improve. Bless Brian Rowland, who has issues with circulation in his feet especially, and we pray that that can be resolved. Bless Ricky Neves, who has cancer. We are thankful and rejoice that Jackie Lambert's back at rehab after this setback that she had, but we just, we thank you that she's doing so much better. Be with Will Jennings as he is facing more surgery, and we pray that it will go very well for him and his father. We ask your blessings on Jim Thomason as he's in recovery. Bless Wanda Devon's family as they tend to her. We pray she can have a strong recovery. Bless Ray Miller as he recovers from his surgery. We pray your blessings on Kathy Johnson as she has surgery this week and we pray it'll be a success. Bless Marilyn's sister Pat in her infirmity. Bless Maydeen as she recovers from her broken arm. We rejoice that Jamie Warner uh, is doing better, although it sounds like this condition can be something he deals with periodically. We, we just pray that he will heal and that uh, he'll have a, a better outlook. Pray for Terry Yarbrough. We're thankful that Terry's doing better, and we pray that he'll be out of the hospital soon. Bless Chester Dunavant uh, in recovery after surgery, and we pray that I have full recovery there, be able to go to rehab and uh, just get back on his feet and do well. We pray for the Dukes family as... Uh, Jim Dukes is uh, very low right now. We just pray comfort for everybody, peace for him. We pray for Will Tennyson as he's going to be having some scans this week. We pray it is routine and that everything is well with him. 
Lord, bless us as we talk more about the book of Isaiah and just the extraordinary book that it is. And be with us in our, our Bible reading that we'll be committed to that and just learning great things on our own. Thank you for the blessing of strong minds and a willingness to put in the time to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Yay! Strong minds and willingness. That's what we need, isn't it? Yeah, we just, man, don't you love to read? And what a blessing that is. So much of the world isn't even able to do that. But you, you can do it. God's blessed you with the capability and the resource to grow in your knowledge of him. Man, that's extraordinary. But with blessings like that come what? Responsibility. So as a segue, how many of us have read through Isaiah this week? Yay! Hey now, that's a bunch of you. Some of you are scratching your heads, I think, but some of you actually raised your hand. So I kind of put a challenge out there and some of you took it. You know, if it takes 3.75. Three and three quarter hours to read through the book at a pretty steady pace. If you just read an hour a day, start, you know, and even alternate the day. Give yourself a break. Wow, it's just, your mind is so full. But give yourself a little break in there. You'll, you'll get through it just like that. And then you will be able to raise your hand and say, I, I read it. I, I did that. And it will be a blessing to you. And I know that a lot of it's kind of difficult and hard to follow, but there are some, are some parts in there that are just descriptions of events that happen that are really interesting. And I think, I think if you put the time into it, you'll really enjoy that. I wanted, to, I wanted to continue thinking about Isaiah and some background information related to it. Things I, I, I think that you ought to know. Here's why. A lot of times people look to like your preacher or somebody else for their information. Say, well, if I, you know, hit a snag, I'll just go ask the preacher or I'll go ref refer to somebody that I, I trust in the Bible. I'm going to tell you that your best resource is you and your Bible. So the more you know about the Bible and the better you are able to handle the Bible, the better it's going to be for you in the long run. And if you use other resources, like let's say you, you read the Bible, but maybe you went and you bought yourself a Bible commentary, or even something like a, a Bible dictionary, all those things can be very helpful and supplementing your studies. So I encourage you to do those things. But I'm just going to tell you that when, when you get into extra materials, there are going to be a lot of things that are discussed in some of those materials that you may scratch your head a little bit about. Because if you're simple like, like I am, like when I come to the Bible, this is how I was raised. I was raised to respect the Bible and I have never, ever had any question about whether a thing is inspired or not. I don't have to have any scholarly work to prove that to me. I just have the faith and the trust in the documents in my Bible so that when I read it, I read it as it is the Word of God. 
But you need to know that when you go to extra materials, that sometimes there will be discussions about things maybe that never even crossed your mind. And one of those things is discussions related to this first book that we're looking at, Isaiah, that really get to the question of whether or not it is inspired. Why would anybody question a book as to whether it is inspired or not? Well, you're probably like me, you're scratching your head. I don't know, why would they? Well, you know, there are people out there who want to destroy the Bible. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> there are lots of them out there. In fact, I'm gonna say that there is a majority of people whose, whose whole life's goal is to do something in order to undermine the inspiration of scripture. Isaiah has become one of those books of the Bible that has attracted a lot of attention. We mentioned some of that last time in that Isaiah, especially from the New Testament standpoint, is a reference that deals with messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy is just a fancy way of saying is talking about the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. The book the books of the New Testament reference back to Isaiah a lot with regard to the fulfillment of prophecies. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch as he's traveling on the road home. What is it that he was reading? He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. So from that passage, Acts chapter 8 tells us that Philip taught him about what? taught him about Jesus. Well, Isaiah doesn't actually use Jesus' name right there, so how did that happen? Well, that prophecy from Isaiah 53, as people read that originally, they were thinking about Babylonian captivity and oppression and all of that, but what Isaiah is doing by inspiration is trying to remind people that as much as you are beaten down and feel oppressed right now, guess what? God is still in control, and one of these days, even the Savior is going to be beaten down and seemingly squashed, but it's going to be for a reason. You can take that and be lifted up to know that even though I might be suffering, maybe there's a reason for that too. And so there are a lot of things that happened in the book of Isaiah that had application to the people who were suffering in their respective times and yet referenced what was coming some 700 years later. So what these, what these attackers of Scripture will try to do is say, okay, well, now that you've made a connection between this Old Testament prophecy and now the New Testament scriptures, all I've got to do is call into question whether or not that is actually inspired. And if I can convince you that the book of Isaiah is not inspired, which actually prophesied concerning the Christ, then what ultimately might I be able to do? Well, not just other books, but I could discredit who? I could discredit Jesus and the story about Jesus and what these men who wrote these gospel documents have said as well. If I can just attack one book and be successful, I will be successful in undermining a lot 
of books of the Bible. So typically speaking, when you, have, when you hear about an attack related to just simply authorship, usually the attack has a much deeper agenda to it. Now you say, well, what do you, what do you mean, Isaiah, uh, dealing with authorship and the question, because if you've done this already, and we'll look at it, the very first verse of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one and verse one. I'll put this up on the screen for you. So you ask the question, who wrote this book? I say, well, it's got the title Isaiah there, so I assume it's Isaiah. Well, look at the first verse, the vision of Isaiah. That seems pretty definitive, right? He even gives the scope of his work, which some have calculated to have been probably around 40 years. So you've got him as you're seeing the rulers, Isaiah, and also he was a co-regent with his father, Amaziah. So Amaziah, um, Uzziah, Uzziah actually, remember, he ended up with what? Leprosy. Remember that? So he also was co-regent with his son, Jotham. And then Ahaz, boo, kind of a bad guy. And then Hezekiah, yay, a really good king. Some people also say, well, Isaiah, according to the history that's given in the first section, seems indicative of a lifespan that went probably, probably finished, he was finishing up his writing about Hezekiah. But you remember his son, Manasseh? Manasseh was, as, as good as Hezekiah was, Manasseh was a bad guy, at least in the first. And some people think that he's actually the one who puts Isaiah to death. You remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, that among a lot of other gruesome things that are described of faithful people having happened to them, that some people by faith, in their stand for faith, ended up being sawn asunder. Anybody know what that phrase means, sawn asunder? Sawn in two. I mean with a saw. Okay. Well, some people think Isaiah died that way. That was the legend that the Jews taught. And so Manasseh, uh, being the ruler at the time, he's one to put Isaiah to death, sawed him in half. Ooh, yuck. Well, these things happen, but they held on to their faith. Okay, so... Can I see here, this text says Isaiah wrote this book. And 17 different times, the name Isaiah is sprinkled through this book. So you say, well, clearly that's who it is. Well, here's the interesting thing about the book of Isaiah. And this, one, this is why it becomes kind of popular to attack. And that is, okay, so the first 39 chapters, remember it divides up into two sections the first 39 chapters are dealing with the Assyrians, the period in which Israel is under attack by the Assyrians. Well, let me describe this for you. So Israel's going along and they think they're big time and the Assyrian nation becomes the dominant force in the world. They are dominating everybody, overcoming everybody. Israel says, we will not have that. We will align ourselves with Syria and Syria will help us. Uh, we also might align ourselves with Egypt as a backup. We're going to be good. But the Assyrians came in there and you remember what happened? 
They didn't just carry Israel away into captivity in 721 uh, BC. They carried them away and then repopulated the land so that what was, was no more. Okay? The Assyrians, powerful. Isaiah is talking about that time in the first 39 chapters. In fact, you, when you come to the end of that, uh, you've got you know, Hezekiah who is there. And Hezekiah is that good king. Hezekiah is like, okay, you know, Lord help us. And the Lord delivers Israel, uh, it delivers Judah from the onslaught of Sennacherib, who is leading this Assyrian army. The Assyrians took over Israel. They were going to take Judah, but God spared Judah. Okay? Sennacherib, you remember how many, and I told you there's some interesting stories that you can read. When you get to chapter 37, you read about Sennacherib's army, who in one night, one angel did what? Killed 185,000 warriors in one night. They just woke up next morning. They're all dead. Sennacherib goes home. <laughs> of course he does. One angel with that kind of power. So that first, that first half is dealing with a period in which Isaiah lived. And as he tells the story, he tells it. Like he's, like he's narrating the thing. It's like he's standing right there telling it. Okay, peace, that's great. That's what historians do. But beginning in chapter 40 and going through chapter 66, the last half, 27 chapters, that period of time deals with the Babylonian captivity. Now, Anybody remember when the Babylonian captivity was relative to the Assyrian uh, period? It's about 150 years, 150 years. So Judah is actually carried away into Babylonian captivity in 606 BC, right? So we went from 721 down to 606. And then they return from captivity in 536. That's the 70 years. Isaiah now, in the second half, is talking about those events. But here's the thing. A lot of times when you read prophecy, in fact, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking this is true in every other prophetic book, in every other prophetic book. When somebody is talking about what is coming, they talk about it like, well, I'm here, but let me warn you, on down the road... This is what is going to happen. The perspective is, I'm here in the contemporary time with you, but I'm telling you about something that is going to happen down the road. Every prophecy is like that, except guess what book? Isaiah. Isaiah, by prophecy, by inspiration of God, talks about the Babylonian captivity, which is going to be 150 years down the road, he talks about that also like he's just right in the middle of it, describing it in first person as though he's in the midst of it. Now, let's see. So he had a 40-year, 
40-year vocation there as a prophet with the Assyrians, and then there's 150 years, and then the Babylonians. Let's just kind of, you know, kind of get him into the mix of it. So add another, I don't know, a couple, 20 or maybe 30 more years. So uh, was Isaiah like, you know, un over 200 years old when he gave that last prophecy from chapter? No. So how could he do that? Okay, he had a vision. He had this vision during what time? During the time that's described in chapter 1 and verse 1, right? God gives him a vision of what is to be. And in the vision, here's the thing, in visions, sometimes God puts the person where? Right in the middle of the action. I'm here and I'm seeing it as though I'm a part of it. And the thing about Isaiah is that God has given by inspiration a depiction of exactly what was going to happen. In fact, not only, not only does God give Isaiah a depiction of that, but in the latter chapters, I think it's in chapters 47 and 48, we'll look at it given our time. Not only does he talk about the Babylonian captivity, but after the people are released from their Babylonian captivity, a hand, like three years late, well, the Babylonian captivity, three years prior to that, the Medo-Persians attack the Babylonians and they now take control and they have possession of the children, uh, well, of Judah, th those who are, are in captivity in Babylon. This ruler's name is Cyrus, okay, Cyrus. Over 150 years before Cyrus arrives on the scene, Isaiah is writing the guy's name in the scripture. And the story unfolds that Cyrus is intrigued about these Judeans, that he, these Jews that he has in captivity. It's like, what, what's that stuff that they're reading there? Oh, these are quote unquote inspired scriptures. And so read some of that to me. So they're reading scroll of Isaiah, kind of reminiscent of this Ethiopian unit, reading this scroll of Isaiah. And they read to the king Cyrus about this deliverer of the Jews. Oh, whoever could this be? Now, keep in mind this prophecy 150 years earlier. Who in the world could it be? Well, actually... Their scripture gives his name. What's his name? Cyrus. Wait a minute. I'm Cyrus. Cyrus was compelled to release the Jews because he found himself in scripture. Wait a minute. So if you want to undermine scripture, uh, is, would this be a great place to start? You say, now wait a second. That isn't reasonable. So we're going to do a couple of different things. And, and these are the people who are attacking the Bible. I say, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to pull back from that simple mindset that somebody like Ken Forrest has, who just accepts that this is the truth, that God did inspire it. It is a vision in which Isaiah finds himself effectively 150 years further down in history and simply describes what's happening even so much detail as to describe the deliverer of the Jews. And what we're going to do is we're going to throw in 
some questions. Like, doesn't it seem reasonable that instead of God inspiring this guy and, and going to all this trouble, maybe it wasn't that at all. Maybe there are actually two Isaiahs. This is how they actually attacked the Old Testament scriptures, the, the, um, the first five books of the Bible, the books of law. They said, you know what? It is not possible that Moses wrote all of that. So maybe there was actually a second writer that worked with Moses. And so they, again, tried to undermine inspiration. Guess what? They did it with the book of Isaiah too. And what they say is, yeah, one of a couple of things. Maybe it is that Isaiah wrote the first half and then another guy wrote this addendum to the book and described the Babylonian captivity, just simply thinking that, boy, it's kind of neat. God's people went through this problem. It's very similar with the Babylonian captivity. So that, that just make a complete story. Question, what's the problem with that? Well, Cyrus is, is a problem, but what does it say about one or the other half of that book? Must not be inspired, right? This guy just added that, added information, not inspired. That's, of course, the reason for doing it. A second thing would be, well, some people have come up with this, this idea that maybe there wasn't two Isaiahs. Maybe there were a bunch of people who maybe call themselves like the students of Isaiah or the school of Isaiah. They just kind of, as a group, had the responsibility of writing the history of the Jews during uh, this time of uh, captivity. What's the problem with that? Again, the book says, who wrote it? Isaiah wrote this. Now, I want to show you something else. I, I talked about how there, there is an agenda in undermining these Old Testament scriptures because if you can undermine the Old Testament scriptures, you know what Jesus did with those scriptures? He showed followers of his how he was the fulfillment of all those things. If I can undermine Jesus fulfilling that, watch this. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're just going to look at a handful of verses. We're going to begin at verse 38. This is, this is important right here. So I asked myself, who wrote this book of Isaiah? Is it Isaiah by inspiration, receiving visions from God, like the Bible says? Is it two Isaiahs displaced by history? Is it a group of Isaiahs? What's going on? What's reasonable? Uh, John chapter 12, 38 and following. The word of Isaiah the prophet. Stop. Who are we talking about? Isaiah the prophet. The word of Isaiah the prophet, that it might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Anybody know where that's quoted from? In Isaiah? That's from Isaiah chapter 53. Remember that? Isaiah chapter 53, question, who wrote the second half of Isaiah? <laughs> Isaiah did. By inspiration in the New Testament scriptures, Isaiah did. But watch this, and I love, you think God doesn't know what he's doing? The answer to all these questions is just very simply right here if we would study it. So I say, okay, well, then maybe, Ken, maybe, the true Isaiah didn't live during the Assyrian period. Maybe he just said that 
as a representation of a vision. Maybe he actually lived during the Babylonian captivity. That's why this scripture says that. Is that right? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that they should heal them. Anybody know where that's from? Isaiah chapter six. Where's that? Well, that's in the first half. That's during the Assyrian period. So here's what we have. The Bible proving itself as being true. Isaiah 53, Scripture said Isaiah wrote that. Isaiah chapter 6, Scripture says Isaiah wrote that. Question, who wrote the book of Isaiah? Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah. How do I know that? Well, first of all, I just know it. You know, I'm like one of these, I don't need to know that. But I'm telling you, if there are attacks on the scripture, are, are there answers to those attacks? Do we just have to sit there and scratch our head and go, well, now I don't know. I'm going to go to the internet, ask the internet. You go do that, you'll get 20 different theories. I don't have to do that. I can go right here to the scripture. The scripture just answered the question for me. Who wrote these? Well, this text says Isaiah did that. Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53 <coughs> during the Babylonian captivity. He wrote Isaiah 6 during the Assyrian captivity. How is it that he could do both? How could he be present in the present tense in both of those places? Well, it's because he did it by inspiration of God. He had received these visions and he simply wrote what he saw from the perspective of the vision that he saw. A bunch of mumbo jumbo. They don't believe that prophecy is true at all. They would tell you that, yeah, Isaiah is a great book. In fact, they would tell you the same thing about the gospel. Great book. But those are just, you know, those are just history books. Let's study them as history, not as the inspired word of God. Well, for me, I know this is true for you too. That's not, that's not good enough. It's inspired of God. If, if it is inspired of God, that means God has shared his mind with us. You know what? I, I can go to the library and check out a bunch of history books related to these periods. What I want to know is what God had to say about that. What God does is not just simply give us the history of what happened, but he is saying, look, your Messiah is coming. You can endure this period of Assyrian captivity and the onslaught of that, you can endure Babylonian captivity because God, if you will faithful, will always be with you. And as a plus, I'm telling you, this isn't going to happen in your time, but it is going to happen that there is going to be an ultimate deliverer. And of course, that's mentioned in <laughs> lots of places, um, one of which is that text that we just looked at, Isaiah chapter 53. Well, look, time's up. Thank you for your paying attention to my going on and on about stuff. But I, I think this kind of stuff's important. If for no other reason than to know that, you know what, I, I don't have to panic when somebody challenges the scriptures or whatever. There is always, uh, usually right there in the text itself, but there are always simple answers to the objections that people bring. And uh, this was just one of those. Okay, let's have a prayer and then uh, we'll be dismissed. And thank you for your attention.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for a great day. And thank you for the activities that are happening even this evening. We pray, Lord, you'll keep us safe. And if it's your will, and you'll give us a new day. Pray that we'll really use that faithfully and bring glory to you through our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.